0: Hey my friends, it's Dr. Deepika Krishna and welcome to the special episode of Dr. D's show. Hey, I am Dr. Deepika Krishna and I'm honoured to bring world leaders, doctors, wellness coach and various information in the field of health and wellness with this podcast. I have spent the last 15 years studying the human body, treating, learning, speaking, and coaching literally on the top levels on the topics of lifestyle, health, immunity, mindfulness, and much more. My goal is inspired by my own personal journey and my mission, which is to help you and my audience live, love, thrive, which is to feel more vibrant, more healthier, more confident in every area of your life if you like today's episode click a screenshot share it on Instagram and tag me at dr. Deepika Krishna so that I can see you and give you a shout out or send a hi if you want to go to another level of your health through lifestyle modification and holistic approaches then book a one to one session with me or our expert team of doctors and nutritionists only on www.immunosciences.in. It's time to level up my friend and reset your health to the next level and find your authentic awesome self and health again. So go click on www.immunosciences.in and let us support you in your health and wellness journey. Now, without further delay, let's jump straight into today's episode. Hey everyone, for today's session, we have an amazing woman who is a doctor, mom, and ops and gynaecologist. sexologist. Her passion is all things women, sexual and reproductive. She is also the founder of Mix and Death Legacy, a health and information consultancy that seeks to provide solution to sexual and reproductive health and wellness through connecting media and medicine. Now let's welcome Dr. Zenda to the session. Can you tell us about your journey as a doctor and how it began?
1: Community service, which is basically the years you do after your internship. And I happen to just work in a maternity unit and um, doing the clinic, I sat across another woman who was pregnant, obviously, because it was an antenatal clinic. And, and I love the, the conversations we had. Um, I was pregnant. She was pregnant. The only difference between the two of us was the fact that I had done a bit of time at medical school. I also started to realize how much of a gap in terms of information. Very often, um, as doctors, we present amongst other colleagues. So other people who understand the medical lingo but the communities that we are serving very often are not you know, uh, inclined and, and have access to the kind of information. Um, and yet we are trying to heal our communities, which for me was when then the, the whole idea of microphones and stethoscopes, um, which means it's media and medicine. Media, because it is the easiest, quickest way of getting to as many people as possible, whether it's radio, whether it's social media. Um, it just allows that you can do one consultation that a thousand people get to see and it benefits those people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as a black woman, having grown up, I mean, our country is particularly conservative. Black culture is particularly conservative when it comes to things like um, sex and sexuality. And it is often covered a lot with a lot of negative stereotypes, a lot of negative myths. And again, the information, accurate information is not accessible. And then we see the backside of it, which is basically things like gender-based violence, things like uh, uh, rape, Child molestation, and you find that part of it has to do with the fact that there is this culture of secrecy and taboo around sex and sexuality, and a lot of children, in particular, don't have the vocabulary to to express themselves when something has not something has been done to them that was a violation. So Mm -hmm. that's how I got influenced to study more sexology. There there aren't any black sexologists in our country. I think I possibly. And the only you know qualified one but there are people who are in the space of sexual medicine yes. educate yes. um and, and also a lot of Guyanese you know we always assume that OB Guyanese know and are comfortable with talking about sex to their clients mm. but no a lot of Guyanese don't talk about it don't ask the relevant questions and yet we deal so much with the space of reproduction um and sex and sexuality so that was My background, I did my exams for sexology in Prague um, with the European Society of Sexual Medicine um, Mm -hmm. and and International Society of of Sexual Medicine. It it was a tough road, but because it was something I was very interested in and curious about, um, it's the best decision I ever ever made.
0: You know, speaking about sex education, uh, sex education has been a taboo topic and I believe that, um, you know, India as well, I mean, India and Africa has been facing the dark side of it. Uh, Sex education isn't being provided in school, and even parents avoid to talk, the talk with the kids. How important is uh, this education according to you? And uh, uh, what is the appropriate age to part this
1: knowledge? I think it's one of the most crucial um, in information, and 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 I think where a lot of parents miss it is that there's this assumption that when children are taught, or, or if you speak to your children about sex, um, then they will go have sex. But they never think that you know. And I always say it's like if it's like teaching somebody mathematics. Mm. If some if you teach somebody mathematics, it doesn't mean they will go and or accounting. Will go and rob a bank, it means they will be better at their finances. They will make accurate decisions about about their finances. The same way with sex. I think also where we don't realize and and why is it hard for parents to have these conversations is because probably a lot like you guys in India, there has never been the culture, for example, where parents talk. Openly and have conversations with their children about anything and everything there's always this um, a parent talks that down and tells the child what to do, give the, the you know the, the, the instructions and the child yeah. listens and just does we, we haven 't grown in a culture that that opens up conversation, and I often say to parents, it is difficult to start thinking about talking to your children about sex if you don't talk about normal life, what interests your child and um, and create a safe space and environment for them to feel like they can run to you as the parent mm-hmm. or if they feel like they will get punished if something, if you create a culture that For every little mistake that a child makes, they get punished for it. Um, You are creating, you're not creating a safe space for your child to run to you when they are in trouble. And, And again, as I've touched, the difficulty with it, which parents don't often see is that first of all, you don't have a safe space with accurate information for your child to go to. But also you don't have a place where a child can go and report when somebody older or someone else does something to them. Um, and also you're not empowering them. You find, Children may not necessarily be molested as children, but the difficulty, particularly for girls, to assert themselves in relationships later, mm-hmm. we if you haven't given them the space and the vocabulary and you haven't taught them how to communicate themselves, how they feel, how they want to be treated, how they don't want to be treated, when it comes to um, relationships older, these are the, I know for a fact, I'm a living proof. I struggled with that for years and years. How do I communicate myself? How do I articulate myself? How do I love myself within a relationship? And so the the repercussions are much, much bigger um, than, than a lot of parents. I understand a lot of parents are scared. Um, They don't know how to do it. And I think that's where our work becomes important to say, okay, how do you teach your children? And how do you teach parents how to speak to their children? Mm -hmm. Um, And and one of the key things that I, I, I like doing is saying, Talk about everything else. Get into the motion of talking about everything else. Talk about breakfast. Talk about what their day was like at school. And then when it comes to the more difficult topics, don't start with talking about sex. Talk about money. Why is my body changing? Now, this is usually between the ages of 9, 10, 11, preteen years um, when they're sort of uh, changing into puberty. Mm -hmm. Those are important times to try and make sure that Kids are comfortable and they have self-confidence and self, good self-esteem about their bodies and about who they are and a sense of self. So that when it comes to almost like when they start being, you know, teens, you can get into the more meaty topics like what is sex? What is contraception? What are condoms? what are, and, 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 and the whole works.
0: I totally agree with that because, you know, this is the age when uh, the kids, they, when they are coming, they're touching to the teens, they are actually uh, getting in their own zone. So it's, this is the time when they need to talk to their parents most and I also feel that, you know, the way uh, when a lady gets pregnant, we have parenting classes and you know how to grow the kid, how to develop the kids. This is also a topic which, you know, what, there should be classes and more learning sessions for the parents that how to open up with the kids. Because, yes, there is a bit of uh, uncomfortable area, you know, to talk about this. And also the right vocabulary, like you mentioned, is missing both from the you know, parent's side and from the kid's side. Dr. Zenda, please tell something about your organization, which is a very interesting name. You spoke about that you take care of, you know, the sexual health and reproductive health and wellness. Could you tell us more about it?
1: At the moment, we are mainly functioning from as as a private practice, but the whole aim uh, as a private practice in terms of, you know, now when a person actually needs uh, a consultation. But when you talk up, when I talk about microphones and stethoscopes. Mm-hmm. um a lot of a lot of doctors um go the route of publishing papers and and you know becoming uh, keynote speakers um at academic uh, inst- uh whether it's institutions or conferences um yes. I've always had sort of like a love for radio. And, and television. And, and for me, I saw that as such a tool to be able to educate the community. It's a very different ball game. You know, you have to learn how to take medical uh, terminology and, and, and break it down into what people understand. You also have to be very relatable to people. Um, and I always say I'm, a, I'm an ob for every patient, all, all, Ages, so I have to be able to know how do I speak to teenagers, for example, versus how do I speak to reproductive women? How do you speak to women who are already at, um, you know, menopause? So, so the, the whole aim is basically to educate the community, at the same time being able to have a space and a place where people can actually come in um, and have actual consultation and get help. Um, I think also the bigger part of it is to be able to normalize these conversations. It's incredible over the years um, how much women and men say, I'm so glad somebody who looks like me who is black actually talks about these things that we really mm-hmm. find difficult to talk about. Yes. Or when we have like our own groups, you find that the information is may not be accurate because there isn't somebody um, uh, uh, um, who's basically studied the topic. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's a it's a very different space. Um but, but I love it. I really love and enjoy it. I always say, if you had to give me a, an, an option to present at a huge conference or um, at some big women's event, I would probably pick the women's event because that, that's something that I love and I'm passionate about. Um, I always think medical people already have the information. Yes. So, so yeah, that, that's basically what we are about. We are about educating as well as providing the solutions for all sorts of um, OB-GYN and, sexu- and sexual health um, issues.
0: We have pretty much same choices. Even given a choice, I will also pick, you know, women issues more strongly <laughs> and passionately uh, because yeah, I, I do feel for them. Okay, yeah. you know, which brings back, so this is one topic which I really wanted to discuss, and I'm sure our viewers would be uh, interested to know about this, which is like, so, you know, during these times, because we see the raising cases of molestation and rape cases, and there are plenty of cases where uh, the victim is very young and even underage as well. So, what do you suggest the parents to help and how the parents can help the kids? to tackle these kind of things and how to, you know, judge between the good touch and the bad touch, although there are a lot of education happening, but how does a parent, just give us some pointers, how does a parent uh, make the kid understand about it?
1: First of all, you've got you've got to get, as a parent, you have to get over your own insecurities, your own gaps of knowledge. Um, one of the things that we do, we, we, we talk about a team consult where a parent can come through to the doctor if they're really struggling to have these conversations. Come mm. through to the doctor's office and I will help you, um, you know, teach, basically teach you as a parent, but also, so there'll be time where I talk to you and the child but also a time where I speak with just the child. Because the important thing is you have to create a platform um, or a space at home where a child feels it's safe to talk about anything and everything. Remember with things like rape, molestation, uh, uncomfortable touch, there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of self-blame. And a child is young to be able to differentiate sometimes whether something is appropriate or not. And very often, and the perpetrators, they will either threaten the child. So from a very young age, not just about sex, about everything, create an environment in the home where your child knows that they can trust you with their lives. They can trust you with anything um, that they need to talk about. The other thing that I think is quite important to, and this is more quite practical to teach the child, there's a difference between something that is private and something that is a secret. Mm-hmm. Very often, perpetrators will say, "Will use words like, this is a secret between you and me, do yeah. not tell anybody, If you, yeah. and then they will use threats perhaps. Um, it yeah. is okay to, it, it's one of the lessons I teach my daughter, she's 10. Yes, there are conversations that are private that we won't have with everybody that you'll have just with mommy and daddy, um, and they are parts of your body that are private, Only you and maybe mommy is allowed to touch. Um, When you are bathing, this is what privacy means. You Mm. close your door. Anybody who wants to come in must knock. As Mm. soon as somebody says something is a secret, you tell your parents straight up. Mm. And it doesn't matter who it is. If somebody does something that you are uncomfortable with, tell mommy, tell daddy any time, every yeah. single time, you know? And, and I think what also sometimes becomes quite important is parents need to be advocates for their children. Mm-hmm. If your child tells you something, don't ignore it. Don't think it will go away. You have to stand up because the action that you take when your child tells you will determine whether they come back to you afterwards. With, and it may be something even more serious. So Absolutely. it's important for parents to be, Advocates and let your children see that you stand up for them when they are in trouble.
0: Absolutely. I can't agree more because, you know, also with, um, you know, the girls, they really have to go through this vulnerable age where they have to yeah. accept their sexuality because, you know, uh, particularly in girls, they have like a lot of changes which happen during the teens. So yes. how does, uh, you know, a girl, because, you know, sometimes I have seen with my uh, patients as well, that the teens, you know, they get a bit traumatized uh, because of, of the sudden changes happening in their body. Yes. Uh, so how do you, do, have you ever uh, come across to any kind of patient of yours like this? And or how did you deal with, uh, you know, or what do you suggest to your yes. patients?
1: So always, um, I, like I said earlier on, we I do what we call uh, teenage consultations, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I often get asked how soon should a girl go see a guy, and I say the best predictor for me is um, when when it when it, when it, when, a, when a when a child starts having their period to teach you mom who might not necessarily be comfortable to say okay so these are the changes these are the things that are important to talk about talk about why her mood is changing talk about why her breast and her you know her figure is changing and becoming more rounder um and and also i think it's important the attitude around it it has to be positive because very often which is quite contrary to the boys you know the boys when they start having wet dreams and you know they are seen as men and 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 macho whereas with girls suddenly we tell them close your legs when you sit Mm. and if you sleep with the boy you're going to fall pregnant there's a lot of shame and negativity around something that is very natural nobody asks for this you know it is natural and I think we need to change um the attitude around it in fact I'm currently working on an exciting project um a a, 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 a book, basically, on how do you talk about these things and how do we celebrate for girls coming of age, Mm. teaching them. I mean, it was surprising. We spoke about quite recently on our Instagram page about how many women um, have actually been taught how to use a sanitary towel. Mm. A lot of girls, a lot of who are adults now, were never taught. You just kind of figured it out. Maybe you were given the packet by your parents. Um, but but there was a lot of shame and secrecy and and just not open conversation and i thought you know, like how we do baby showers for pregnant yes. moms? Yes. It would be quite awesome if for young girls, when they come of age, all the aunties and the, I know in the Indian community, there's something of that sort. Uh, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, all the aunts and the and the siblings and the sisters, they come together. You buy a nice present and we actually celebrate a, a, a young girl's period so that they don't feel shamey about it. Um, I think it's also important to educate the boys, especially if they've got siblings, so that they understand why is my sister different from me? What is changing? Mm. How can I support instead of being the one who is teasing? Because one of the things a lot of girls struggle with at school, even at home, is the teasing. Teasing about your boobs are growing. You know, your, your, your bum has grown bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and it, it becomes an esteem issue. Even things yeah. like acne and gaining weight, yeah. those things are quite sensitive, particularly to, to teenagers. And, and it's important for parents to be equipped to say, okay, I think I know how to talk to my girl about this. And if in doubt, there is a professional that I can go to and get this information so that I can do better for my children.
0: Yeah, of course. In fact, uh, I really like uh, your knowledge about Indian community as well so a lot of cultures and uh, in fact in India also we do celebrate um, you know uh, the girl's puberty and uh, you very well said that yes. all the family they get together and they give uh, you know make some gift and make her feel special so in fact you know when I was also growing up and I as I met to my puberty it was a bit of uh, you know like all the teens face so it was big bit of setback for me yes. and then uh, gradually my mother my aunt you know they explained me that okay this is absolutely normal and absolutely uh, you have to be comfortable this is a part of being you know lady you are going to be more prettier so whatever I mean actually those things made me comfortable I was not feeling myself out of the place so I'm sure a lot of girls out there must be feeling like that so uh, your tips are surely going to help them
1: and, you know, I was so excited initially to, to get an invitation. I mean, I get a lot of invitations from, you know, in and around our country, but somebody from India, tell us, where are you from and what, what work do you do specifically?
0: So Dr. Zenda, uh, you know, like we know a bit about um, you. And so I am also a gynae, you know, did my education in gynae, but currently practicing, you know, particularly uh, naturopathy and functional medicine majorly, because, uh, you know, after doing my gynae, I was a regular practicing doctor, but something, you know, made the shift in me personally. Yes. It was personal with my health, you know, so uh, that was the time I took a, Support of functional medicine and which brought a huge health benefit in my, you know, hormonal level in my, you know, digestion and rest of the things. That was the time when this, you know, paradigm shift happened. That I thought, okay, you know, nutrition and functional medicine and naturopathy, okay. it it is something amazing, right? It does so much yeah. things to our body. So yeah, I pursued. Uh, you know a course on this and finished proper education and now i am uh, running this company Immunosciences, which is a nutraceuticals company and we make health uh, supplements and we provide diet and nutrition guidance apart from that we treat patient uh, by the mode of functional medicine so yeah this is kind of a passion of mine And uh, yeah, it works very well because, you know, having the medical knowledge and connecting it with the right nutrition, it is like absolutely uh, making baking a perfect cake. So yeah, Yeah. I mean, it is working perfect for me.
1: I'm I'm so excited Uh, and and it's because I do work a lot with um, people who, or other doctors, whose main function is in functional medicine. And then I think particularly with um, women's health, there are so many changes that happen in terms of our cyclical bodies. Yes. Um, it's not enough, you know, and often doctors will say, eat well, exercise. But they yeah. haven't exactly specified what does that look like and at what point of your cycle should you be taking what, um, even understanding what some of the foods that we consume and um, the impact that they have. How have your patients benefited from you? Because you've got a bit of both—you've got the medical as well as the as well as the functional medicine are going on. So,
0: you know, like Dr. Zenda, I've said that, you know, we are initially used to think only from the medical perspective rather than, you know, any trying any other alternative thing. But gradually when we implemented the nutrition factor, we, you know, digged more deeper. We find out what is the cause which is causing, you know, and there are a lot of. Gut bacteria, like, you know, you know, there are a lot of gut bacteria which is involved, you know, causing the hormonal imbalance. Vitamin D is big, huge, which people underestimate so much till now, you know, particularly with women, you know, they feel, okay, I, I, you know, I I might get rashes or might, you know. spoil my skin, let me not go out in the sun. Uh, But in fact, the vitamin D dose, which is ideally recommended, you know, we work on that, I won't say that how much dose, uh, you know, it's ideal for uh, any patient, but we work around that we try to figure out what is ideal for you, and the dose and how much uh, the minerals, vitamins and your gut bacteria. what is your, uh, you know, pathology and what is the cause. So we our main intention is to dig deeper to find out the root cause and you know, completely eliminate from the root cause. So that's how we work. We do not force our patient to you know not eat anything but we do work with them to you know give them the right kind of diet which boosts them internally which brings their energy level back and of course you know when the energy level is back everything falls in place so yeah i mean we have team of doctors and we really sit down patiently with all our clients you know one by one and it takes an hour to 45 minutes to you know to go through the session and it's a very interesting fact is that uh, you know, patients, when we do connect with them, they feel very connected mentally as well. You know, particularly with women. Yes. I, think, yes. I think they feel that they are being heard, they have been listened. So which is an added yes. advantage for our, you know, discovering themselves more and finding out the right kind of treatment to them.
1: But that is so true. And, and the question I want to ask next, Doc, because this is quite big um, uh, in, 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 in my practice. I see this a lot that... This, women are not necessarily coming in because they are sick. They come yeah. in for checkups. But one of the big things that they will complain about are things like premenstrual menstrual syndrome, uh, things like uh, uh, um, candida or we call it thrush here. Yeah, they have a lot of, they suffer with thrush. Um, the impact of stress as well, um, particularly I live in Johannesburg, which is basically just like hustle and bustle. So a lot of women are busy. They are working hard. Um, but they don't realize how much this impacts their hormonal. Um, Could you just kindly touch on how do you manage, how do you treat things like, you know, simple things where somebody's not sick and how do you advise women to eat um, so that they work with their body as opposed to against their bodies? So things like, what do you, what what can you do for PMS from a functional and both the gynec perspective, things like premenstrual syndrome, um, and and so on what what is your general advice for for such for such things i'll just give an example
0: of premenstrual syndrome that how do we work on that of course the premenstrual syndrome like you know it's a huge hormonal imbalance and you know of your of your stress hormones and the rest of the hormones so uh, we do work i mean firstly we try to find out the cause like i said we try to find out you know uh, we ask them to maintain a diary to note down when is the time when they are extremely feeling you know, these kind of complication or problems then we work on them symptomatic basis Apart from taking care of the diet and the very important thing, which, you know, the current generation or all of us need is not to follow any kind of fad, you know, whether related to any diet. So people, a lot of us are huge on keto diet or, you know, maybe vegan diet or maybe just following anything. So I'm not saying that these diets are not good or any other sort of, but everybody is different. You have to find what works for you. Yes. so when we put our clients on any kind of diet, that's majorly of therapeutic lines. So it, the diet is not forever. Suppose if we put any client in a keto or in a vegan, it would be for three to six months, not forever. Because of course, if you go forever, yeah. you are going to mess with your hormone. Your cortisol is going to you know, shoot up and all the, all the things which you don't want will start showing up know, uh, nutrition is the yeah. basis of any kind of, you know, health disease, any factor. So if you eat right, if yeah. you eat, you know, mindfully, and follow the, you know, whatever we suggest our patients, it's absolutely, absolutely miraculous. And like I said, you know, uh, gut bacteria are really important. So we are, uh, I think one, one of a kind in india till now as for my knowledge that we are working with gut bacteria. you know we dig deeper again you know to find out what bacteria are in your stomach what food you can eat what food you can't eat so like you know dairy is good for someone but dairy is not good for 80 percent of the people Fun right enough. yeah because yes. they don't have the you know the bacteria which digest the lactose so similarly, there are all the yeah. food, all food has different kind of uh, gut bacteria, which helps to digest the uh, food. If the bacteria is not in your gut, probably that food is not for you. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at the genome perspective, looking at the gut bacteria perspective, those are some, some
1: kind of skills which we work on. You make me want to come and spend, even if it's just two or three months and learn a lot. They, I mean, it is so fascinating. And I think, you know, you touched on something really important about how when you spend time with your clients and you, you help them understand their own bodies. First of all, I believe that they save a lot of money um, going from one doctor to the next to the next. They start to understand their, and appreciate their own bodies and also feel empowered to do for themselves without always needing to go um, to the doctors. Here's, here's a big one that I get asked about. Um, and, and particularly with when it comes to, you know, the fads that are there. And, and often these things are, are promoted by celebrities, people oh, that yes. people like. And oh, look yes. So the Yoni steaming, are you guys seeing the Yoni steaming fad as much as we are? What's your take on it?
0: Uh, no, I'm sorry, Dr. I'm not being updated on that. So, uh, it, what, what is so that? So basically, using? they
1: use it's like the use of herbs and sometimes even crystals. They they even have like what you call yoni eggs, where basically they, it's vaginal oh. steaming. Okay. Um,
0: no clue about that. I'm sorry.
1: Okay. So, so it's probably not. It's not as bad in your in your country as it is. I mean, it's become the the most uh, interesting oh, wow. thing that a lot of people are doing. It is, it is, it is often, uh, like I said, it is often prescribed, not even prescribed, it, you know, uh, people who advertise it, none of, none of them are medical people. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no research that supports that it, it works or it is beneficial. Either than, you know, for me, what I look at is like, you know, whether you're taking a bath, a shower, or just a steamer, it's yeah. exactly the same thing. Anything yeah. that will improve circulation to the reproductive areas mm-hmm. is likely to cause less pain. Um, but but where forward, we yeah. start, yeah, where we start getting problems is when people start claiming that you know it heals fibroids, it heals endometriosis. Oh my god! Um, and that can be very, you know, um, that can be very dangerous. And also just the just you're know, talking about the, the good bacteria. Um, anything that you bring around your genitals, uh, particularly as a woman, will change or is likely to change the pH of your of your of your vagina, and yeah. therefore cause problems. Um, but nobody, you know thinks about this, and like I said, the unsuspecting public um, will go and buy anything and everything as long as it's being um, advertised by people who are celebrities, Um, and and also they're not accountable to any medical... Um, a, a, a bodies that basically yeah. keeps them accountable for, for those these
0: are these are i feel all media strategies you know i mean to sell their yeah. products i mean i feel it a lot of but then what do you suggest that how should a woman keep their hygiene maintained like if not uh, those products and what how uh, ideally you know a woman should clean their private parts and yeah. keep the hygiene maintained you know, what
1: we learned at, at medical school, I, don't, I, I probably think you guys the saying was that, you know, the vagina is, is generally a self-cleansing, yeah. you know, uh, um, organ. So there's yeah. very little that you actually have to do. I think more importantly that, um, that, we try, that I try and do is, first of all, to teach women about what is normal. Because for a lot of women, they think your vagina, first of all, is supposed to smell like strawberries. Uh, and I'm like, <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> <laughs> you know absolutely not but also secondly how does the discharge in your vagina change Throughout mm. your cycle, because you know, at some point it will be like a milky white, at some points during ovulation, it will be that see through, stretchy, um, yeah. and then just before your period, it may actually thicken a little bit because mm. that's when your pH kind of moves up a bit more than other times, mm-hmm. um, and that's also when you're most likely to get thrush and um, UTIs. Um, so, there's a lot of education that we need to give around what is normal, um, and then just to de- uh, discourage. A lot of the stuff, and I always say to patients, if in doubt, just call me. Just, just Mm -hmm. call me. That's that's the least that I can do. Um, I think also it's important for us as doctors to to get involved in these conversations. Otherwise, we are not um, giving the accurate information about what people should and should not do. Um, Also, the other important thing is to make sure that women don't think that just by using these products. Um, then 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 it, it, it you, you shouldn't go for your annual checkups mm-hmm. and get your pap smears, get your mammograms for those who are already 40 years. So there's a lot of education to the public that is missing, and I think that that's one of the key and core areas um, that I love focusing on.
0: When do you recommend people to uh, you know go for a pap smear? or any other kind? That
1: is such a a difficult question to answer in my country, Um, not because we don't have guidelines, but because there is such an inequality between the public and the private sector. So you find that in the private sector, there's overtreating. You find women having a pap smear literally every single year, which is not necessary really. At least every three years, particularly if your pap smear has been normal Mm -hmm. and you don't have any underlying immunocompromising conditions. We have arrived in HIV.
0: I was about to ask, is there any reason of getting so frequent done there? It's literally
1: just like patients who can afford to go to a gynae and pay money and get it done every year. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing, and whereas when you look at the public sector, I think it's it's a bit under it's they are under treating because the guidelines in public sector says a woman from the ages of 25 30 years they should have a pap smear at least every 10 years and I think that's too much of a gap yeah you know that's (laughs) too much of a gap but you know that (laughs) in public sector everything is influenced by politics is influenced by health budgets. Um, mm. so so for me I also individualize a lot. So for example, I will often say to somebody, you can it's okay to have a smear a year between between you know, if you've had it this year, in another two to three years is fine. Things that you should be concerned about, make sure that you get the HPV vaccine. Secondly, make sure that if there has been a change of the sexual partner, that obviously adds more risk. I would probably then do a pap smear sooner than, than just the three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and so, so it's a tricky one. So the guidelines are there, but they're not very applicable to everybody. You have to kind of tailor make for, 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 for every client. Yeah. Uh, um, in terms of of, 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 of how but I, I always say at the very least once every three years, um, if you're not HIV positive, if HIV positive every year it's important. Um, and also making sure you're not just doing the cytology but we're doing the HPV testing, particularly of the high risk, uh, uh um strain 16 and 18 um we have a high rate of cervical cancer particularly amongst black women mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be so it is such a preventable uh, uh disease and and if we just get the screenings correct and with the right timings it would make such a big impact what does it look like in your country
0: yeah i mean same like you said but then uh, not like every year also people don't go and you know 10 years that is also a lot so yeah we do recommend uh, you know uh, to go i mean not <laughs> maybe after every two to three years if your tests are absolutely normal uh, majorly for the you know elder ladies we ask them to get it done every you know twice or thrice a year and
1: yeah do you still do any obstetrics by any chance doctor
0: uh no, I mean not anymore, so I have my company uh, now, which is a team of uh, you know twelve doctors, and we are totally working on functional and uh, you know helping with supplements and diet nutrition
1: and just and just on that because I think there's a lot that we can we can we can learn from that. Do you guys offer courses um, uh, internship um, I always say i love i mean I love visiting different countries. Of course, now with COVID, things are a bit different. But as yeah. soon as things ease up, for example, somebody can come through, spend two, two, three months, uh, uh, and just and just learn a lot. Because I think, um, particularly for me, with women's health, it's not just about medication. It's about a lot more. It's about understanding the body. It's about understanding yeah. physical and and you know activity. How does that impact um, to optimize women? So, um, what what does your company do uh, in just other than the consultation? Do you offer any learnerships and things like
0: that? So, Doctor Zenda, actually, we are working on it. Maybe in a year and a half, we would start with you know proper uh, education courses for you know. We also have a small NGO which is called Celebrate Life, where we do a similar kind of work. We provide you know teaching and the hygiene education and the basic health that what uh you know women and kids. Uh, require for the basic to keep their basic nutrition level up so as an NGO we are working on it but as a proper you know commercial thing we need to you know we are yet uh, you know brainstorming on how to do it so yeah that's it and
1: definitely look forward definitely look forward
0: Yes. So Dr. Zenda, you know, we discussed a lot about females, but what about the men out there? So I have some questions for them as well. So the first one, you know, we know about orgasm. Uh, What is an orgasmia? And is it a real thing? And, you know, and if it is common in male
1: or in female or both? Yeah, it's actually more common in in females. Um, And and, and basically it is somebody who fails to have an orgasm and it could be a number of different reasons. Um, I must say, you know, again, one of the reasons that I went into um, sexology was such a lack. I mean, if you go to Europe, which is where I studied and I did my sexology, there is so, I mean, there's so much work that has been done under uh, sexual medicine, whereas in, 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 in my country, in, in, in the whole of Africa, there's very little work, very little papers, very few papers that have been done. Sure. So sometimes you find that the discrepancy in the descriptions, I mean, one of the things that I often, um, the, the definitions will have something that and it must bother the patient. You know, if, if, if it causes unease for the patient, then it is a disorder. But I look in my country, for example, women have never, for the longest time, felt like, they were empowered to complain about yeah. whether it's uh, you know anorgasmia whether it is low libido whether it is a uh, low desire whether it is um, the one that often they, they 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 will come through with is pain you know mm-hmm. when they complain about uh, dysponia that's the one that is probably the most reported but that also speaks about the discomfort that somebody is having yeah um and and so th- there's a lot of those discrepancies about um, what is out there and published it is based in majority European or American studies and not so much from the more conservative uh, uh, countries like ours so yes it is possible and I must I must say i I, whilst, I mean whilst sexology basically, It covers both male and female. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I certainly, because I still practice a lot of obstetrics and gynecology and then the sexology. um, I don't often, I don't see men alone. Um, I will see them if they're coming as a couple, uh, you know, the the, the wife and and the partner, Um, Mm -hmm. then I will see. Otherwise, I generally will refer to a urologist. We do have urologists who are sexologists, which helps a great deal, just because um, there's always the, that importance of saying let's exclude any underlying medical condition before you label somebody as having a sexual dysfunction.
0: Yes, that's true. In fact, you know, uh, uh, like we have discussed prior, that sex education and all is kind of a bit taboo. So yes, I feel women, uh, they are not very comfortable as well to talk about uh, uh, their, you know, uh, whether it is orgasm or any other sexual problem. So, I mean, the best thing is to go and meet a gynecologist and, you know, open up with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's important for people also to to ask the questions. It's not easy. Uh, and yeah. and, and I, I see this all the time. And I wish, you know, when I teach uh, younger doctors, I always say, you're already in a position of power by being a medical. So be the first one to initiate um, the, the, the questions. We have a small questionnaire thing um, as a client comes in as they and they're filling in their, their, their contact details, a small form that just asks them, are there any concerns in your sexual life? And if it's a yes, um, then I know we're going to go into a little bit of that discussion when I see them. And if it's a no I'll just ask uh, in passing and say, is there anything you'd like to talk about? Are you happy with your sex life? If they're happy, I don't, I don't you know, probe any further, yes. but it's important for us as the doctors to start the conversations because it's already difficult for our clients. Absolutely.
0: So you know, uh, speaking about men, uh, what, what would you want to say to the males listening to this talk who have some sexual problems like uh, ejaculation disorders or low testosterone yeah. levels but are not having the confidence to reach out? And yeah. how would you define sexual dysfunctions
1: in a layman terms? Right. Um, I, I think the, the first thing that I want to alleviate anxieties from from everybody, particularly men, because there's always an ego uh, uh, factor that goes with... Uh, male's ability to perform mm-hmm. um, first of all it is normal to have those days where things are just not not working the way that they should that's the first thing and secondly to understand that our bodies are constantly changing you can't be a 50 something year old man and still wants to have the kind of erections that you were having when you were in your 20s um, mm-hmm. you know literally at the peak of your testosterone um, if if a condition if something first of all is bothering you but Secondly, is going on for anything more than six months, it is time to go and have it checked out by a professional. um and and and, and in, in this day and age, there are so many, um, you know, in, in whether it's inventions, whether it's medications, there is a whole. Uh, medical cabinet under sexual health or se- uh, sexology that deals with looking out and saying, okay, what are the problems? Is it is the problem a psychological? Is the problem um, a, a chronic disease, comorbid disease that is causing the problem? Is the problem a relational thing that is happening between you and your partner that is causing that? And I think what people underestimate is that When you see a professional and they explain what the problem is or why you're experiencing what you're experiencing, it also makes you less anxious about it. It also takes away that element of self-blame um, or of, of assuming that or because I you know I, I've got early ejaculation or delayed ejaculation or no yeah. erection or whatever the situation may be yeah. um, is, is you think something is wrong with you and it's like no your body is just a, like a it's like a car if something is not okay with your car you take it to the garage they fix it and if all is good all is good. I think also for men very often you find men are reluctant to have their checkups whether it's prostate, when they start at the age of about 40 years of age, men are more reluctant to, to, look, to seek out medical help. And that's a problem. I think they need to understand that their health is so important, so vital. And, and also the pleasure of being, of experiencing a healthy life um, mm-hmm. is, is so important. So if something is not okay by all means, please go get your screening and and screening tests done so that we can be preventative as well. Um, not just those that relate to sex, sexual health, um, but but also to those that relates to you know your blood pressure, um, watching out your you know your body weight, your BMI, particularly. Um, the the abdominal circumference weight gain the kind of foods that we eat our culture needs to change completely in terms of how we approach health and invest in that from a holistic perspective and from a preventative perspective.
0: Yeah, I mean it's very important for the men as well to keep a check on their blood pressure, you know, on their sugar levels, on their you know glands, particularly prostate gland. Uh, so you tell me, uh, so there is a huge myth uh, or or a misconception, which I will say that only women go through menopause. Yeah. But studies have shown that uh, men also go through menopause, which is termed as andropause. Tell us something about
1: menopause, that. Yes. You know, I often even think, you know, God was very smart. You can't have a woman going through menopause and almost like I wouldn't say your life is winding down, but there is a level of slowing down, of calming down. You're no longer running around small children. It would be quite difficult to still have... Uh, a man who behaves or who is functional like they were in their 20s so there is definitely a decline in the and when we say andropause um for the for the woman it is the estrogen that is declining so um that that comes at particularly the the e2 or the estradiol it comes to literally um very low levels so that somebody is unable to be Reproductive. So, having children, it does impact other 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 areas as well. It's a transition. The yeah. same thing with men. Andropause. It's the decrease in their androgens, particularly the testosterone. So they are losing. You you find men will lose their muscle mass, and um, so they're not as particularly if they're not exercising and mm-hmm. and really paying attention to to their physical activity and physical health. Um they lose they start losing muscle mass, but also they are uh, uh, um, in terms of erections it starts to decline starts to decrease um it is important to understand though particularly I mean in your fifties um fifties even sixties I don't think it should decrease that much such that you're literally unable to have uh you know a sexual 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 intercourse if I can put mm-hmm. it that way mm-hmm. so there are we can supplement you know we do all sorts of tests uh, and see if, if the problem is just is is the testosterone we you know we can supplement for testosterone it's also important this is also why I said it's important to look at um, the screening test because there is quite a correlation between enlarged prostate with uh, things like urinary tract Uh, uh, um, you know, whether it's symptoms for for, Mm -hmm. for the men. So it's important when things is not working well, go and get it checked and rather say, okay, I'm just aging. Me and my person are aging. So, um, sexual intimacy or sexual uh, intercourse will obviously have to change. There is no way that you can be in your 50s, 60s, 70s and think you'll still be doing things you were doing in your 20s. Mm-hmm. It's also, I think, a, a really good time to, to say intimacy is not just about sex. It is about communication. It is about growing old together. It is about um, what now you prefer to do rather than what you used to be preferred to do in your younger days. Mm -hmm. It is about companionship. It is about how do we live well with one another? How do we look after each other? So I think there's also too much emphasis at times on, you know, the sexual drive, the sexual intercourse. And I'm just like, it's important. And, and, And when it happens... Fair enough, um, uh, but it's not just about particularly penetrative intercourse.
0: that was a lovely talk I'm sure the audience today would be blessed to gain so much knowledge from you so you know Dr. Zenda, just give us some departing message before we end the talk and say goodbye for to our audience
1: today. right. Thank you so much for having me. I think um, you know you you have sparked in me just, or or rather I'm more enthusiastic about the work when I realize that, you know, people from so far see what we do. And and I think for, for, for me in particular, I look forward to collaborations because my passion is all things women. It's, it's, it's making sure that we understand our bodies so that we can show up um, as our best selves. Um, so thank you so much for the invitation. But even more importantly, thank you for the amazing work that you do. I certainly look forward to collaborations um, going forward.
0: Thank you, Dr. Zenda, for joining us today and making this session an absolutely amazing one. Hope to have another amazing session very soon. Bye and peace out. A big, big thank you for all those who managed to listen to the end of the session, sending you warm wishes and good health. If this podcast has in any way motivated you to embrace your health, wellness and lifestyle, then don't forget to like, follow and subscribe to this channel. I love reading your comments, so don't hesitate and please send me your reviews, love and support. If you wish me to have some special guests over then, please drop their name in the comment section below. My team will make the magic happen for you. I will meet you in the next podcast with another amazing topic for you. Dr. D is now signing off. Until we meet again, stay healthy, live consciously and love endlessly.